So welcome to six, episode 68, everybody of Level Up, 60 minutes of live Q&A where your questions, chat and comments really do drive the show. Please do let us know where you are joining from in the chat, the city that you're joining from. We'd love to hear from you and get everybody involved. We've got a team on social media, so whether you're joining us on LinkedIn or on YouTube, we are here for you and please introduce yourselves also in the chat you'll find a link to vote up the questions that you would most like answered and of course to add your own we live stream on mondays at 8 and fridays at 2 p.m uk time both to youtube and to linkedin now today we're going to be talking all about how to become a rainmaker and this is a term that not everybody is going to be familiar with but basically it's somebody who can help their clients see the full value that a potential solution could bring and who helps trans translate that into commercial activity. Okay, so we've got a great panel for you today. So let's jump straight in and meet them all. Returning to the panel today is Gary Gamp. He is a senior partner with Positive Momentum and an accomplished senior executive who specializes in sales leadership, change and transformation. Gary is the co-author of the PS Professional Suite of Qualifications, one of which is actually all about becoming a rainmaker. Gary also hosts the popular company Doctor Podcast. So welcome back, Gary. Great to see you. Good morning, Nick. Great to be on again. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Another long-term supporter of Level Up is uh, Sunil Mehta. Sunil returns to the panel today. He's the Managing Director of Quint Consulting Services and is responsible for their training and consulting business across India, the Middle East and Africa. Sunil focuses on ensuring that every client has a carefully crafted solution to meet their needs. Welcome back, Sunil. Great to see you. Yeah, Thank you, Nick. Good to be back here. Uh, it's an honor to be part of this elite panel and uh, love to contribute. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, um, Sunil. Um, Fargus Pauli joins us for the first time today. He's the Managing Director of Antonimen Digitali and has been in sales since the early 1990s. Um, he combines advanced analytics with problem solving to discover and present value to his clients. Welcome, Fargus. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, very warm greetings from Germany. <laughs> ah, okay, lovely. Whereabouts in Germany are you joining from, Fargus? Uh, we are located in the middle of Germany in a city with 110,000 inhabitants. It's, the name is Jena, well known for optical industry and card size. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much indeed. I've kind of roughly got you placed. Um, it's a huge country, um, Germany, so it's always good to know roughly where you are. Um, so that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, also joining for the first time today is Sean, Sean Van uh, Rooyen. Is, uh, he joined PM Ideas in 2001, I think, as their national sales manager and is now their MD, their managing director. Sean supports his team in winning new business and sustaining relationships with existing clients through delivering excellent customer service. So welcome, Sean. Ah, morning, Nick. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. All right, excellent. Our question master for today, of course, is Sachitra, Sachitra Jacob. She's joining us from Bangalore in India. Um, welcome back, Sachitra. Hi, everyone. Great to be back again. Okay, excellent. Well, um, uh, let's get into it then. I think everybody, Sachitra, let's have our first question, please. Question from Jane in the UK. What do buyers look for in a seller? 
All right. So what is it that first attracted you <laughs> to this particular salesperson? Sunil, start us off on this. It's a, it's a very genuine question. So um, with all the experience that I have, I think first and the foremost is that the seller has to be genuinely customer focused, uh, not just in their thinking, but their actions, their words, and whatever interaction they do. So, you know, so that, that's very critical. They should not try to sell what they have, but try to sell what the buyer wants. And I think we hear that a lot of. Um, so these are the two areas that I definitely see uh, very critical. Okay, Gary, your thoughts, please. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that there's a book, I know it's early to recommend a book, but I want to recommend this book, Inside Selling. I go that way. Um, and I think you're going to post, you're, you can post it on the link. And that book was based on research uh, with IT buyers as to why suppliers came second. And the people that won versus the people that thought they were going to win, the things that stood out, and I won't read them all, but there was a top 10 list in order. But the number one was you educated me on new ideas. The number two was you collaborated with me. And the number three was you persuaded me I would achieve results so i think those are the things that stand out as to uh, what buyers want from sellers high level yeah thank you carrie and it i i've read i've not read all of it i've read bits of, of that book kind of going backwards and forwards and i have it on an audiobook so i'm hoping to be able to complete it fully um fargus your thoughts please well um in my opinion and in my experience uh the buyer uh, is uh, invites the seller because he has a problem to solve. So what uh, uh, the buyer looks in a seller is uh, to to become not not to become to to get a person who solves his problems with any solution. Yeah, yeah, no, really good points. Thank you very much indeed, panel. I, I guess one of the things that you know we really do look for is is to help help the client walk towards you, if that makes sense, rather than you pushing things towards them. Um, it's certainly been true in the uh, interactions that I've had with customers and also when I have been a customer as well. I much prefer somebody who invites me into the conversation rather than kind of pushes um, something to me. Um, Sunil, and then we'll hear from Sean. Yeah, um, I just want to add one more thing. What, we, what we've been listening a lot when we go to different buyers is that are we flexible? Are we willing to collaborate with them to co-create a solution? And I think that's very critical uh, that we are not very rigid. We go and like what we heard, that understand the issue and trying to collaborate and bring an answer. Really, really good point, that collaborative element. Um, Sean, what's your experience? I think one of the biggest things is that a lot of the time salespeople run in there and want to drop a product or drop a service. Um, what we've found over the years is the most important thing is actually to understand where the client is heading. And if you can put your solution to meet their business strategy, they're most certainly going to buy from you. And to do that, you need to really understand and actually want to work with your client and want to understand what they do. Um, and get to know them exceptionally well so that you become a trusted advisor. Um, they need to, you need to want to see them succeed. And if, they, if you come across that way, I have no doubt that they'll buy from you. 
It's such an important thing, isn't it? It's, there's little point in providing something that is not going to accelerate, make a difference, improve, you know, act as a catalyst towards you know delivering more value back to the back to the customer. So it all hinges on that. And when you do that carefully and in a considered kind of way, then um, you know the client will see that value and, and grasp it. Uh, Fargus. Well, one more point. Uh, the uh, a buyer look for in a seller as a, as a partner because we in German we we uh, have a speech that business is from man to man, from people buy from people, and so you need to trust a relationship to build on between the partners, and uh, the buyer after a time they are looking. To you as a friend, as a solution, as a solution bringing friend. So this is a very complex and and uh, complex network of relationships, uh, and you uh, just one question, but a lot of answers. <laughs> it's very true. It's absolutely very true. Thank you very much, panel. That's really good. Very, very interesting indeed. Now, look, I can see lots of you on LinkedIn. Uh, thank you for joining us and also on YouTube. So if you have a question for the panel, just type it in the chat and we'll pick it up and bring it over to them. In the meantime, Suchitra, let's move on. We'll take our next question, please. Question from Ravi in India. What are some of the ways that can help you in identifying the customer needs accurately? Okay, so different ways in which you can start to get an insight into what your customer needs really are. Sunil, start us off on this, and then we'll hear from Gary. Yeah, I think Pagas talked about people buy from people. So I think one of the things is uh, know the person, know the customer, know the industry that you are talking to, because we try to see uh, one of the myths is that you know we know what the customer wants, and they just try to sell. So that's important. Um, I would also say asking the right questions. Uh, this is an art people have forgotten, the conversation art, uh, asking the right question and steering them to, you know, to a solution collectively is very, very critical. So these are my two points. Thank you very much indeed. Gary, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I totally agree with, with those comments. I think, you know, in the 1980s, we were all always taught to kind of uh, second guess what customers want and look at their problems, which is still relevant. We need to understand our problems. But the the issue is that a lot of people will second guess what the customer wants without checking. And so to build on the last point, I, you know, I think doing that research before you go to a meeting so that you've got some idea and the best place to go is if you go to the website and look at the industrial, relation, industrial uh, public relations part and understand what some of the issues are in the, in the annual report or some news on, on Google, then you've got a, 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 something you can go and check with a customer and see if it resonates and how it might affect them. Because I think the, the issue is most people will second guess and you need to know from the customer directly what their, what their issues might be. And that, and that shows, that builds trust with the customer so that they're more likely to tell you specifically what's troubling them right now. I think that's so important, Gary, and the, the um, annual report for publicly quoted organizations is super useful. In the past, uh, 20 years ago or, or more, um, most of the data in there was uh, financial. Now, 
the opposite is true. Most of it is narrative and there's little bits of financial information throughout it because there's so many caveats around the financial information that there needs to be this story being told all of the time through the narrative. So large organizations spend a lot of time on that narrative and it's, I think it's hugely insightful and if nothing else, it demonstrates to the client that you have, you know, done your basic homework, you know, before you engage with them. I think the other thing that it might be worthwhile um, considering as well is to think about how would you structure um, those early engagements, those kinds of discovery type engagements that you have with your client base in order to be able to build a better picture of what is happening in that organization and how you might be able to help them. Um, because sometimes, you know, people go into these things without, you know, having a bit of a plan. You certainly don't want to waste people's time. And thinking of ways in which you can start to build that early understanding is a super useful approach to take. And um, Sean, how would you go about that? Well, I think <clears throat> as you were sitting um going through it now, a lot of the times when we, we set up appointments, we think that, you know, the client's just seeing you because that's what they feel like doing. And what we don't realize as salespeople, if the client is going to give you the opportunity and the time to sit across from him, let it be via a Zoom or let it be face-to-face -face meeting, it means that they have an issue or they have a problem or they need something. As a salesperson, your responsibility there is to let the client speak. Um, because if you just sit down and start putting your product in front of them, you might go on for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and it might, not be, it might actually not be what they require. So the best way to find out what the requirements are is actually sit down and take a genuine interest in that individual's business and try and understand where they need to go, what it is that they need to achieve. And then through those questions, you should be able to put a decent solution together. And that solution, if it is in line with what their requirements are, there's no reason that you couldn't move forward and get into the nice part where you get into proposal phase and so forth. So those questions for me are critical. So understand where the client is moving, the business side of things, and the only person that's going to give it to you is that individual you're trying to sell to. But if you give them the time to explain it to you, that you're not just there to drop something, you're actually there to sit and create a partnership with them moving forward they should purchase i think that's so so important um sean and it needs to be done in a genuine way because people spot a lack of authenticity they can tell straight away so you actually have to actively listen and really want to go through that um otherwise it, it's actually going to have potentially anyway a, a worse effect um sunil final thoughts no, I, I absolutely agree with Gary. We have a, a parameter saying who spoke most. Are you speaking or is the customer speaking, right? If, if in out of one hour, we spoke 40 minutes, it's a failed meeting for us because you, you just said what you want to say. So I think apart from the questioning technique, as Gary said, listening skills are absolutely essential. Uh, and, and you can capture a lot of stuff when you just listen, give it a pause rather than trying to push the sale. Absolutely. Thank you. Fargus? Well, um, to, to, add more, to add more answers to this question, um, <clears throat> we as a digital sales company, uh, so we, we build digital sales channels. 
um, we, we have to think twice, one digital way and the second in personal, because our job is to bring the client to uh, an appointment via Zoom or in personal. And uh, at first, you, until the, the point of contact, you don't have any, any direct uh, relationship. Uh, so you, you have to bring questions to the internet and to see how react uh, anybody to, to whom it may concern, maybe. And to who it concerns, they will request or they will answer. This is a point that I have a list of questions, standard sales list. Anybody can, can use if, uh, to identify uh, a customer, uh, his needs, his, his, his budget, and the most important point, as we say in German, the smoke burn factor or smoke burn factor, or, or uh, like uh, uh, a code code burn factor. Where where is the most important problem on his his rope <laughs> to to um, to uh, to act as a, a fire fire catcher uh, uh, and uh, and then to solve this this immediate problem and then maybe ask for more. So, well, um, often I see uh, a lot of catchphrases on websites or with client presentations, keynotes. And uh, at this point, you, with these catchphrases, you can't uh, identify a customer. You, you have to ask a, a digital and personal uh, just 10 questions to to identify your customer and his needs and his budget and yeah, and it's immediately needs. Okay, thank you very much. So we might touch on that a little bit more later on and uh, think about how do we blend, you know, these two worlds together, that um, uh, digital prospecting, if you like, to create the leads that you're following up with and so on. But I do want us to, you know, also kind of think about this concept of, the role itself, you know, and understanding the client and then kind of moving on into beginning to build value with the client as well. So, Suchita, very good. Um, let's uh, move on, please, if we can. We'll take our next question. Question from Nick. Are great rainmakers born or nurtured? Now, this is something, panel, that I actually put in as a question. It's a genuine question. All right, for me, because some folks, you know, kind of come through the school of of uh, being able to engage clients. It seems that they've been doing it since the age of about five. <laughs> I went to school with a couple of them and others have really, really grown into it over time. So genuinely interested in your thoughts. Gary, start us off on this, please. And then we'll hear from Sunil. Yeah, absolutely. It's a difficult one. I think uh, I think that the headline for me is they can be nurtured, but not everyone will make it. And I think it's a bit like an entrepreneur. Everyone has the potential to be an entrepreneur, but not everyone wants to be or can be. And so my bottom line for Rainmaker would be that it takes a certain amount of effort and patience and vulnerability, I guess, at some level to you know, go on that journey and take a genuine interest in others, but also to, you know, to try new ideas when things aren't working. I mean, the word Rainmaker means making rain Think about the desert where there isn't any water and you've got to create something. It's that level of intensity and creativity. And so it takes us a special person to do that. So I think, yes, everyone can, but not everyone will. Okay, Sunil? Um, 
So I, I would say to become an effective rainmaker, you have two components. One is the attitude part, and the other is the skill part. And attitude is what you're born with. You know, that's the, you need to be assertive, right? You need to be agile thinking. You need to turn around the proposal fast. You should always be thinking about the client and so on and so forth. That's something that you're born with. That's something that is within you. Uh, and there are a lot of psychometric tools that tell you whether you are on, on that or not. The second part is the skills, which I think you can nurture. You can train somebody. Uh, yeah, normally we say we hire for attitude and you train for skills, right? So I would say you need to look at a combination that works best and not, not try to make everybody an effective salesperson. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Adida. I, I certainly think that, you know, as we, it could be a maturity thing, you know, it could be a maturity thing, but kind of as we get a little bit, little bit older, um, somehow another relaxing more in during the process, you know, seems to be more effective than, than anything else. And feeling that sense of confidence that, you know, if the right moment presents itself, then you will identify that. It's quite an important thing. So I'm wondering if, you know, some of that ought to be part of the coaching and the, you know, development that we offer to people. That, you know, it's good to be hungry, but at the same time, it, it's actually, you know, quite an important thing to demonstrate your confidence by relaxing through the process a little bit more. Um, Gary, your thoughts? Yeah, I just think, uh, just to add to this, no, I'm not, Sure, I completely agree. Sorry, I shouldn't disagree with the panelists, but I think there's a, just another angle to the first point about attitude, which is motivation. Now, I think if I've seen, I've worked with salespeople that are top of their game because there's some kind of hunger and drive and motivation. I don't mean financial. And then I've seen the same salesperson not be effective because they lost their mojo, so to speak. So I think motivation does play a key part in that kind of attitude mm. and aptitude. It's certainly true. Thank you very much, Adib. Well, thank you for um, sharing your insights. Now, if you're watching us online, um, and I can see quite a few folks um, actually are, then and if you want to put a question to the panel, then please just type it into the chat, and we'll put it to the panel uh, directly um, for you. So thank you, uh, Kenneth, from joining from Kenya, Sadat in India. We've got folks from Bangladesh. We've got um, uh, an audience in Johannesburg uh, from Jenna, in Germany, thank you for joining us today. All right, excellent, very good. So Chitra, then please, if we may, let's carry on and take our next question. We have a question from Albert. B2B sales often take much longer than B2C. How can I move my prospects towards the through the sales funnel without pushing them too much? So this is quite an interesting thing. There's been a lot of um, research that's been updated recently around um, uh, uh, the behaviors of people who are in B2B, in a B2B buying cycle, and how much they are now mirroring um, the behaviors of consumers when they go online and start doing their research and so on, and the amount of time that they spend doing research before engaging with a potential solution provider. Um, Fargus, let's start with you this time, please, and then we'll hear from Sunil. Thank, thank you. That's exactly my daily business, this question, uh, because I, am, I, I automate B2B sales channels. And my research in the last five years, uh, you, you are not able to shorten the, 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 the sales uh, cycle. But you can put more in. Um, 
The problem is in B2B, you have to deal with a lot of people to sell one product. If the products are bigger or, or services are longer, uh, longer determinated. And that means a lot of people have to, to sign it. A lot of people have to react. And um, the sales cycle often depends on holidays, somebody is ill, somebody is sick, absent, somebody uh, changed the job, is not more, uh, it's at another, uh, it's, it's unemployed or anything like that. So what you can do is to, um, uh, to, to, to fasten sales is just put more leads in uh, as uh, digital as well as analog and uh, well, <laughs> that's it. Hey, thank you. Thank you very oh, much, no. indeed. Sorry. Sunil. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's all right. No problem at all. Uh, Sunil, your thoughts, please. Then we'll hear from Sean. Yeah, yeah. Um, extending to what Fargo says, B2B, I would say, is more a consultative sales rather than a transaction sales. A B2C is more a transaction sales. The value is smaller. The decision maker is one-on-one. Uh, and as, as Fargo says, B2B is much more larger decision-making panel. So you need to work on the needs of every one of them. You need to spend more time on connecting with them, right? You need to more time to convince them that your solution is better. Uh, you need to collaborate with them as, as we were talking earlier so that you have a proof of concept and they work together to arrive. So, um, and, and normally in a consultative selling, you would follow a sales process and Rainmaker defines that sales process. You can't jump from you know, connect to completely collaborative. So as long as you spend enough time working on those uh, you know, prospects, I would say, yeah, this will go the right way. You can't push them. It still takes time to convince people to that level. Uh, and and as, as Paga says, you need to have more B2B in the funnel so that you know what percentage you'll be able to close. Okay, all right, thank you very much indeed. Sean and then Gary. Thanks, Nick. <clears throat> yeah, I think just to add on to that, I think that um, there's many times that salespeople want to push deals through, and we need to understand the complexity of, of those specific um, solutions within the client. So if there will be some that we can fast track, and, and if we have done our questioning correct and we've got the right solution and the solution meets the client's needs 100%, then that sale will, will move through the cycle a lot quicker. If there are other avenues that the client is looking at and our solution is potentially not 100% fit, then they will investigate potentially other options. And then should yours be closest, then you'll be able to move it through the pipeline. But I think it's critical that you have a big enough pipeline, a big enough sales focus so that you can have some quick ones and then you will have ones that will take a little bit longer. So it is difficult. You don't want to be a pushy salesperson, but a lot of it has got to do with how close can we match our products and services to the solution that the client really, really, really needs. And if we get that right, then regardless of how big and how many signatures are required, that sale should move through the pipeline a lot quicker. Um, because if it's something that the client really needs and it is going to benefit their business strategy, they're going to move faster because it is critical for them for their business benefit. Yeah, absolutely agree. Never underestimate the power of the 
you know, the determination of the of the customer, you know, they're trying to drive their own business. <laughs> they're trying to get to market faster or improve a service delivery or, you know, do something. And uh, if you can help them do whatever that something is and your solution is a really good fit for that, then it's, it's going to work. So uh, absolutely right. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Gary, your thoughts, please. Yeah, I think the answer's in the question, you know, without pushing. I think pushing is, is the wrong answer because it does the opposite. It repels. It's like running into the square with a loaf of bread and chucking it at the pigeons when actually they want the bread, they just don't want it thrown at them. And so you want to put your hand out and they come and eat out your hand. And the eating out your hand is the, uh, is the solution or more the outcome. Customers are buying something because they want something as a result of buying something from you. And you've got to focus on that. And therefore, what's the sense of urgency behind that problem or the outcome that they need? And what's the compelling event? And what would happen if they don't have that? Those are the things to focus on. That will make it quicker. But yeah, the, the reason people push is that their, their sales manager is probably pushing them to do their numbers. But actually, if you focus back on the customer and work on their compelling event, that will accelerate the sale rather than your boss. Uh, I completely agree with that. And I, I do want to comment a little bit on you know, the, the way in which these two worlds, B2B and B2C, are coming together more. And so let's let's take um, let's think about things other than buying, you know, say a pair of uh, sports shoes, some training shoes, you know, running shoes to to wear. That may be relatively straightforward in most circumstances. Certainly, if you have, you know, um, a general kind of requirement in mind. But if you move up the B two C scale and um, start thinking about a situation where there's a greater degree of risk and importance. You know, perhaps planning a wedding. There are a very large number of stakeholders involved in planning a, a wedding. You know, choosing a venue, choosing the food. Goodness me! If you've worked with family <laughs> trying to organise a wedding, then you'll really appreciate the complex sales process. All right, because in a nutshell, that's a really good good thing to kind of think about. Multiple stakeholders. Everybody has a view. You know the the color of the flowers, the way in which, you know, certain things, activities happen and the timing and who's invited and who isn't and so on and so on. So you can see there's degrees of complexity in B2C as there are also in B2B. And some things are more straightforward in their nature. Um, there's a need and a fit and it just happens. And other things take a little longer because your stakeholder community is far greater. So if you've been through that process and you've managed to get everybody singing to the same hymn sheet or all turning up on the same day, you know, for a family celebration, then you're a long way through to understanding what that complex sales stakeholder mapping, you know, could look like. So really very good indeed. And Fargus, final thoughts on this before we move on. Yes, final thought. Uh... A motivation for everybody who who has no time in sales in b2b it says you don't uh you don't sell once you sell a long time so start with a small piece and then go further and i i just saw in the in the chat i saw some some friends of mine from kenya hi kenneth i want to uh welcome you in the, in the chat nice to meet you here Okay, all right. I well, didn't thank you very much. invite him. So, 
All right. Well, really good to see you online. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Kenneth, for joining. And um, yeah, I can see that. So great. Brilliant. All right. Thank you very much indeed, panel. So Chitra, let's move on, please. Um, If we may, um, we'll take our next question. We have a question from Jane. Is there a specific tool or template that you would recommend to gather client insights to move a prospect forward? Okay, so some some templates, methods, or tools that you can use to kind of gather and organize the insight that you're collecting from the client. Sunil. Yeah, um, actually, if you look at the Rainmaker concept, uh, there are templates available for everything. Capturing the customer requirements, there's a template for that. So you can find out what kind of questions to ask. There are templates for that. How do you move from uh, a lead to a qualification? Get to know the various stakeholders. Who are the sponsors? Who's the key sponsor? So, I mean, there are there are templates available for everything. We talked about a lot of books today, uh, also in the chat, and also I see some people talking about that. So, most of these books have uh, the problem is not the template. Uh, the problem is how you use the template, because this is an important cell. And it's sometimes difficult to put everything onto templates. And, and people feel it's a lot of waste of time to create these you know, big templates for every deal when you don't even know it's going to get closed. But my experience says that the research that you do on those companies will always, always be very effective, if not now, in future. So use these templates. There are tools available. Salesforce is one of the largest tools, which has all these templates inside. Um, there are smaller, uh, simpler, free sales tools available if you just search, which also have these automated processes. So uh, just use Google, there are enough templates. Go to the book of Rainmaker, there are enough templates that you can create there as well. Thank you very much, Gary. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. There's loads of templates and in the yes, professional Rainmaker, there's loads of suggestions, but here, here's my thoughts on keeping it simple. Just think about the company and think about the person you're seeing. Never go without researching first. Uh, as Sunil was saying, you know, Google is your friend. There's Google and LinkedIn are the two places that are the quickest to go. You can spend no more than 15, 20 minutes. Even if you know the person you're seeing, research them because something might be happening in their world that you were not aware with, aware of, or in the, and check the company out. Uh, go to the company website. Go to their annual report. In the, in the front of the annual report, is the chairman's message about their issues and then go to the risk page and it tells you all their problems. And, and with all that information that will probably take you 15, 20 minutes, you don't need a template. You just make it part of your DNA that you never go to a meeting without checking about the person and the company. Yeah, it's, it's super important. And the, the other thing that I would say is that in my past, I worked in the software industry for, for many years and um, there were uh, some uh, sales folks who who were kind of out there on their own, and they they were very careful with the information that they were gathering from their clients, and they kept them very very uh, uh, close to their chest, if you like. You know, they didn't really share too much, and so on. And then there were others who worked um, with a team, with a trusted team, and they built trust from the outset, and they worked together with a group of professionals, and. Generally speaking, and I have to say, generally speaking, but generally speaking, um, the customer satisfaction from the team-based approach, um, I worked in services, so I tended to witness customer satisfaction a lot. 
customer satisfaction from the team-based approach was far higher, was far higher because there are always things that it's tricky for any individual to be able to interpret fully, okay? And it's easier if you involve a team of others to be able to, you know, talk, talk through and think about the challenges that your client is having. Sunil, your final thoughts. Okay, I just want to share a personal experience. Uh, when we're working with B2B, it's not just one sales team or one salesperson involved. There's marketing involved, which you know, generates leads. There is a qualification team which calls them, qualifies, then it comes to you. And a whole lot of people have done their bit of research on the customer, right? So when the lead comes to me, let's say, and you know, before I pick up the call uh, on a phone and call the client, I do my own research. And it takes three to six months to convert the customer. And I, what I, in my experience is whatever research I've done now, when the customer comes back with some next level discussion after two months, my research is already gone. It's in some sheet, you know, the, the diary has changed. Uh, and that was a big issue for us. Uh, and I think it's a big issue for most people that they have to do the research all over again. So what we've started now is shared sheets, right? So it's a sheet where whatever research marketing has done, their bits, they put it on the client sheet. Whatever bit the qualifier has put, like, for example, do they have a budget? You know, when do they want it? It goes on the sheet. If I have read the annual report, I put whatever comments on that sheet. And I think that sheet is a very, very critical knowledge that we are building for the client. Even if you're not able to close now, even next year when another lead comes in from the same client, we still have most of that knowledge which is useful. So that's been very effective for us. Okay, interesting. So sharing that information can be super useful. Um, Fargus, your thoughts? Yeah, my, my, I just have one point. Microsoft Excel is not a template for sales. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. So, I love Microsoft Excel. I love it for adding things yeah. up. It's not really yes. great for yes. writing things down. It really isn't, okay? It absolutely isn't. There are many other ways to be able to do that. Um, if you are a visual learner and you like to share information in a visual kind of way, then just consider um using uh, a variety of tools that are available to you there's so many software as a service type tools out there now whether you're using something like um i don't know uh, a mind map for instance to be able to give a view of you know your stakeholder engagement and you're talking about different aspects of your potential you know um solution that may fit with different parts and issues you know within the clients and so on really really important to be able to capture and visualize that information in a more meaningful way two-dimensional arrays are let me see anyway let's move on then if we can please uh Sachitra will take our next question your question from sarah how can we maintain authenticity in sales authenticity in sales so sean you've been you know you built your career around um you know thinking about clients and helping clients realize better value how, how do you maintain that authentic approach with every customer uh, interesting one i mean your, your product and you know how your product fits and how it works and what works and i think that the easiest way is to actually understand where the client is coming from and then how you can build that solution to fit into their means, but in the same token, always making sure that you 
create that value. So a lot of the time, the client, and I say this with respect to client, you don't always know what you don't know. So they're calling on you as the professional or as the individual that knows the most. And it's for you to be able to understand where they're coming from, absolutely, and then guide them through a series of questions and your showing your products and how your product or service could benefit their organization and not shoving anything down their throat, but also have the ability to be able to say to the client, well, yes, the, the way you're going, I understand where you're going, but you're not 100% correct and you may waste a lot of money doing it that way. Why don't you try this, this, and this instead? So you, you need to be a trusted advisor, but as a salesperson, you mustn't also have, you mustn't be worried not to tell the client what you've learned over the years. I mean, that's why you're sitting there. If, uh, I mean, if they knew more than you, they'd do it themselves. So you need to believe that as a salesperson, that you do know exactly what the client is looking for, but you need to put it in, in together in such a way that they can benefit and that they see it. So if you can get the client to come up with the idea and push that client forward, that your solution that you have in your head is actually their idea, you should be able to be pretty spot on and be able to move forward and offer your service. Okay, thank you very much. Sunil? Yeah, I would say to Sarah, this is a trick question for sales. Uh, <laughs> for the reason that uh, there are two parts. One, you have to be a trusted advisor to the customer, right? You are, you, they trust you, you need to advise them really what they need and not really what you want to sell. But you have your sales target, right? There is a, there's a person pushing you really, really aggressively to, to meet your number. So I would say if you look at the long picture, the, you know, the larger picture, where even if you lose a few deals, right, but you still win the war in the end, that's still okay with us. So I would still say that the, the, the answer obviously is that you need to give them what they want and not just try to sell or plant your thought into their mind and you know they, they will realize that sooner or later that that's not meeting their needs and they might not come back to you. So I would say give what they want, just try to sell. And if you don't have it, tell them, sorry, I don't have that possible. I can't serve you, you need to go somewhere else. It's a difficult thing for a salesperson to say, but I think we have to say that uh, for, the, for the bigger picture. Okay, thank you. Uh, Gary, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a three-legged stool. I think there needs to be a need. So if they don't have a need, then forget it. Because the, the biggest issue of authenticity is when the customer doesn't have a need and you're trying to sell them something. Uh, when they've got a need, then you've got to be the best choice, the best option. So you know you've got to that you're competing with others, and you've got to you've got to differentiate. You've got to stand out. And the third thing is you you've you've got they've got to trust you. You've got to earn the right that they believe that you know what you're doing. You've done this before. And that's by showing, you show off without showing off by talking about other people in a similar situation, what they did. So I think if you do those three things, uh, it, it makes you more authentic. But if you don't do all three, it doesn't work. Thank you very much, Vargas. And then Sean. Oh, well, um, authenticity and sales. Uh, for me, it has uh, three levels. First level is your personal skills and behavior. Second level is your culture in the company, your company culture. 
and uh, then uh, third is your environment, um, uh, your your real environment, uh, where you in which situation you are. Um, you well. Um, oh, I'm, I have to. I, I'm. I'm. <laughs> I'm not That's able okay. to, to. No, this is. Uh, I in German. I have it in my mind, but. I'm, I lost my English. No problem. Yeah, no, no, no problem. Don't, don't, don't worry. Next, so, please. like, like a lot of. That's okay. That's probably all right. This is, this is authentic. Um, uh, this is authenticity in sales. If you can't solve, <laughs> if you can't do anything, don't do it. It all comes yeah. back to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. And we have a lot of people who are also watching and listening in a second or even a third language. So we fully appreciate. No problem at all. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts on remaining all authentic? Uh, Nick, a lot of the times, it, I mean, salespeople need to understand that we may not always have a solution that fits exactly what the client needs. So if we can't sell something in there, then rather be open and honest, your client will appreciate that. You're not going to get them to spend money on something that actually won't benefit their organization. Sometimes less is more. If you really understand, take part of the solution and work around that because if that's what you do and you do it well, then you can deliver that to the client and they'll be exceptionally happy and they'll get value for money. So I don't think every sales topic, every time we walk in there, we've got to try and deliver the entire solution. I think if we really understand where the client is coming from and we're open and honest with them and we explain to them that we want to work, walk the journey, but we don't have every single thing that they need, but we are exceptionally good in the following areas. If you do that, you will be able to ma maintain authenticity, but more importantly, the client will trust you moving forward because you're not going to try and drop everything onto their, onto their laps and do 10% well. 90% not so. You want to sell something and you want to work with the client where you can uh, deliver 120% of what you say you can, which will then show them that you're trustable and they would want to work with you moving forward. Thank you very much indeed. Now, I spent most of my career in um, professional services. And so from my perspective, I, I think there's a couple of different things here. Um, Firstly, services people often come with um, a an advanced bank of trust, okay? Because you're not perceived to be the pushy salesperson, so you can genuine genuinely form that bond and that relationship without any overtones of commerciality around them. And then over time, that wins you the right to be able to introduce others as part of a way of solving your client's problems. And it's really that link that is the start of the journey for you as a services person to ultimately become a rainmaker of the future because you are there witnessing firsthand in the meetings, in the discussions, in the stand-ups every day what the real issues are on the ground with your clients, whereas your sales colleagues, they may only be seeing a different part of the customer, or they may only be engaging on a week-by-week -week basis or a month-by-month -month basis or whatever. You're actually involved every day that you are working hands-on with that customer. So I would say the first thing to do is to absolutely be yourself, um, speak truth to power, have the confidence to do that, 
Um, if something is isn't broken, <laughs> there's no point in fixing it. Alternatively, exactly. if something isn't working, you know, have the confidence to be able to discuss that and and help your customer identify that there's maybe a better way of doing it. You know, how many customers would love to be liberated from recording everything Excel? Thousands, I would suggest to you. It's just a matter now for you to figure out what would be the most sensible approach for that particular client in these particular circumstances and working with them in that way. The other thing that I would say is that, you know, to the point that the other panelists have made, you know, you need to sustain this over time. So there's little point in pretending you know, to be something that you're not. So um, be yourself, relax, be yourself. Client sees good value in you and you are seeking to understand your customer um, all of the time. And that value does build over a period of time. All right. Very good. Um, we're going to move on um, if we can, and then we'll come back to some thoughts around partnering in a few minutes. Um, so Chitra, let's take our next question, please. Question from Ben. How would you reach people who need your service if they don't know what you can offer? Is social media the way to go? It's certainly part of the mix these days, isn't it? Gary, your thoughts to start us off. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think networking uh, is a really important uh, skill to have and an activity to participate in because you know, when these are transactional questions, but actually you're, you're building a relationship with people over time. And the best way to reach people is, is in a kind of considered and timely way by, by getting to talk to them about themselves, but also peppering into that conversation some of the things that you, you've been doing over time. It's not like you have to have a meeting and close them in every meeting. So my, my recommendation is, yes, of course, social media is an outlet, and you should do that as well. But a key part of the jigsaw is to network. Networking is really at the heart of all of this, isn't it? Whether you're you're doing it face to face or whether you're doing it, um, you know, online, it's about building those connections up and genuinely taking an interest to find out more about the um, the network that that you are building. And Gary, could help us out here. You're an expert in in networking, and I see you, you know, building your connections and adding real value to them all of the time. And um, uh, what are your kind of thoughts on some do's and don'ts about those early days of establishing that relationship? Yeah, well, I think first of all, you you you, you need to have a, an opinion. You need to have something to say about about things. So you should be posting maybe blogs and. You know, setting out your own personal brand, but, but the do's and don'ts about networking. So once you've done that, you've got, you know, someone might be interested in seeing you. And then when you see them, it's not about you, it's about them. And so my, my, my uh, experience tells me that, you know, I do the preparation and planning like we've discussed uh, earlier, but I'm just talking about them and trying to connect with that person and, uh, and, and thinking through their lens. And then I try to add value to them. So when I've left, call or whatever i trying to either connect them to someone in my network or send them something that's of use to them so uh, and then it will come back to you later on so it's not like a one-hit wonder it's a journey that you're you're taking people on yeah completely agree thank you very much indeed very insightful question thank you for asking it um ben fargus your thoughts on this um <laughs> How to sell? Uh, how, how to sell and how to tell? Yeah, for for selling, uh, you need social media as one of the, the, the uh, most important 
uh, channels because networking uh, in networking or in social media you can uh, uh, demonstrate your experiences your skills uh, in a blog for instance or in talking about what you are doing how you are doing to whom this is how to become an expert and uh, clients want an expert and uh, for, for for problem solving for so uh, to reach clients or to reach people with the, uh, for the needs and the services, you need uh, a network uh, in digital and analog. A digital network is social media. And analog, it's your recommendation, your area, your business clubs, wherever you are. It's the same like a social media network, just analog. And the same working. So um, social media, it's not the one and only, but it's one of the, if you are going international or if you are going to reach other clients outside your location, you, you, you need it and you need their recommendation from your former clients. Okay, thank you. Sunil? Um, my personal experience has been pretty good with social media. Uh, there are, as, as we said, it's, it needs to be multi-channel. You need to go mailing, you need to go direct, you know, do webinars, seminars. But I think multimedia is a very important area. One, we do a lot of research on our potentials there. You can get to know everything, what food they like, where they have been doing holiday, right? What, what are the typical topics they are, you know, kind of either reposting or posting. And those are, if there are some common topics between what you're trying to sell and what they want, I think we have a good connect. So that's one. Second, we've got very good experience in paid campaigns uh, because we can't reach everywhere and the research takes too much time. And there are, for us, millions of people out at us. And that's what we believe. So paid campaigns also give us a lot of, uh, I would say, good leads. Then it's up to us to see how do we follow the process and convert. So I would it's a very good way to go, but don't just depend on that. And you have to, as, as Gary was saying, you have to say something. You have to publish what you're trying to say. And if that connects with the thought process, then you already have a good relationship. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Um, so, Chisha, I think we've got time to fit in one final question. Um, Fargus, hold your thought um, just oh, right now. Yeah. And uh, let's hear our, our final question, please, Chisha. Question from Stuart in Manchester. Is there a learning program or certification for being a rainmaker? And would this make me more attractive as an employee? It's certainly um, a skill to be able to foster and, and gender over time. Uh, Gary? Well, I'm a bit biased um, to answer this question because I'm uh, the co-creator of a, a said certification under APMG called the PS Professional. And one of the key segments of PS Professional is Rainmaker. And uh, it, yes, it is a certification uh, that is very practically focused. So it, it tries to help you with your everyday life in the real world rather than a theoretical certification. And so it, you know, it would definitely make you more attractive um, towards an employer because of the skills that it helps you develop. Uh, and there's other segments that would continue to do that. But but it, I, I think I, one of the reasons I'd recommend it, and it's, it's the most popular segment, I think, is because it uses uh, reference material that is engaging and interesting 
um, like insight selling. And then uh, is counterbalanced uh, in, in that particular segment with a, a best practice guide from Shipley, which is around you know, how, how you increase the win rate on proposals and capture customer requirements. And the combination of those things together makes you really good at your job. So I'm biased, but I highly recommend um, the, the Rainmaker segment on PS Professional. Yeah, most definitely. And it's fine to be biased, by the way. That's why. That's why we're all kind of here uh, to be able to share our experience and our thoughts and so on. And thank you on behalf of everybody who's been taking those qualifications, Gary, to you and your team for curating all of that content and bringing it together because it's it's not a straightforward thing to be able to do. It's a 360-degree view, really, on how to develop your career as a professional services person and um, beyond you know, the rainmaking and into how do you engage in, in the C-suite and how do you um, work together to bring about change and, and uh, manage your own time and, and become somebody who can sustain top-level performance uh, over a period as well. So really, really recommend that. Well, look, thank you very much. We've had some really interesting questions today through this uh, journey around uh, understanding clients and thinking about their situation and then introducing some of our solutions, products and solutions to our customers. So let's hear our closing remarks now from our panel. Um, Gary, if I may, I'm going to come to you first and then Sunil. Yeah, I think in summary, uh, Rainmaker is, is about building relationships and understanding where customers are coming from, what their, their um, outcomes are. And I think the key skill for that is networking. And I, I call it coffee to cash. I have a lot of coffees until I get to understand what customers want and connect with them. Uh, I run a podcast called The Company Doctor, and the, the episode I would recommend is called Networking Genius Advanced. And I think it gives you uh, some really good skills to be better at networking and therefore being a better rank. And thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you very much um, indeed, Sunil, and then Sean. So I, I really enjoyed our session. Um, I made some notes. So according to me, sales is about attitude and conversation. And attitude is okay, but I think we've lost the art of conversation. We don't talk to the people. We would rather send mails and do offline stuff rather than just do nice face-to-face, Zoom-to-Zoom or whatever way. But I think that needs to come back. If you really want to be effective salespeople, you really want to connect with people, you really want to build relationships, you need to learn the art of conversation. And uh, I would highly recommend a book which I read called Fierce Conversation by uh, Susan Scott. Very effective. It's a good read. If you have time, please go. Thank you, Nick, for inviting me. All right. Thank you so much. And we'll post uh, some links in the chat, by the way, to Gary's Company Doctor podcast episode um, for the folks who are joining us online. Um, Sean, final thoughts, please. And then Fargus. Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, Yeah, it was an awesome session. I think the most important thing for, for me is that salespeople really need to take a genuine interest in their clients' requirements and needs. And if they put solutions in place, that'll work. They'll most certainly become a trusted advisor to that organization or to that individual. Um, and to do that is to really understand the entire sales concept and um, getting themselves involved in the Rainmaker certification is most certainly um, a good place to, to kick it off and to start with. And that'll also give them 
something extra in, in, in the market. Um, you know, there isn't much out there for a sales individual that can differentiate a good salesperson from another person. So if you want to put yourself out there and you, and you, you, you want to be a little bit better than the rest, um, you, you, you've got to take the time and the effort and you've got to invest in yourself and, and then obviously practice that with the client. And once you start doing that, you'll see the success and your prospects will, will grow quickly and you'll close a lot sooner and a lot more. Thank you very much indeed, Sean. Uh, Fargus and then Sachitra. Uh, to yeah, thanks to Michael Deep. Uh, I I really enjoyed it to talk in an international uh, frame like this one. I never talked <laughs> to people in South Africa and uh, and uh, India. So thank you very much. Well, just uh, to add um, uh, two points. What helps me to become uh, an uh, authentic salesperson and to to build up this digital sales company is that uh, uh, after every appointment, I have my doubts, my personal doubts too. Am, was I was I good? Was I uh, did I have, had I done the right things and the correct thing, correct behavior? And, it, and every time I ask my colleagues here in the company to reflect me, and that helps me uh, in my authentic way for sales and my 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 sales processes a lot. Well. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you very much um, indeed. Uh, Sachitra, your final thoughts today, please. This is great, short, Nick, and thank you to the panelists and our audience for listening. And like Sunil mentioned, uh, creating and maintaining the art of conversation is something that is key for sales. <laughs> It really is, isn't it? And that's kind of at the heart of, uh, you, you know, the, the architecture of Level Up, you know, is connecting people together. And um, if you would like to connect with the panel, the LinkedIn bios and a little clickable link to them is on the APMG International website. Just look for events and you'll find episode 68 of Level Up. And then you can click through from there. So thank you very much, Sachitra. Um, look, on behalf of everybody, thank you so much, panel, for your insight and your thoughts today. Really do appreciate it. Now, if you're getting value from Level Up and you'd like to find out more, then you know you can follow us online on our website. You can search for answers now to over 950 questions, which is a comprehensive resource, totally free, that connects you with more than 130 experts from around the world. And don't forget that like Gary's podcast, you can also listen to us on the audio version of the show on your preferred podcast platform. Now, Level Up this Friday is taking a little break in honour of um, the uh, Jubilee celebrations in the UK. So we won't be live this coming Friday. We're going to return next Monday with how to become an agile change agent. That's on the, sorry, next Friday rather, on the um, 10th of june if that's right um i'm just kind of checking that i think i think it is anyway um and then we'll return the following monday with uh, on the 13th with all about the winning formula for ppps ppps are such an important part of um our activity around the world now especially for those people who are involved in the worlds of um project management all right. So we'll look forward to that on the 17th um, in the afternoon. You can also jo join a German spoken language um, episode of the show 
which is all about IT service management 5.0. So please do tune in for that and share that event with your German speaking colleagues. Thanks very much indeed, everybody. Subscribe to the show and we'll send you a personal summary of what's coming up. And you too can join us here on the panel and level up your career with APMG. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.